Welcome to DeFi by Design, where we talk all things blockchain and cryptocurrency while striving to educate, empower, and enrich. Welcome back to the DeFi by Design podcast. On today's episode of Animal Planet, we have two penguins and a talking bear named Smokey. Um, we got Rob, part of the Bear fam. Rob, GM. GM. Yes, I, I am part of the Bear fam. Uh, I am a penguin, but I'm I'm also a bear. So on this episode of Animal Planet, we have uh, we have some crossover species, um, and I think that's uh, particularly relevant to the modular thesis, as um, there's no longer monolithic animals or chains. All we have is modules and mindsets. Um, and our esteemed guest Smokey um, on the show today, Smokey, welcome. Jim, guys, thank you for having me. We got ourselves a whole ass zoo over here, so I, I love to see it. It lit, and you're the smoking the bear, which is the guy that they have national parks in the states telling you not to litter. Is is that where you, your name came from? Yeah, I'm just trying to avoid on-chain garbage, honestly, man. Um, I think that uh, when we were when we were starting Bearish, we were all like, you know, we should kind of like have fun bear adjacent names, and I just thought Smokey the Bear was kind of funny, so uh, you know. Got to prevent forest fires, got to prevent rugs, all the fun stuff along the way. Now, you know what? I think I told you this on the live stream too, and something that that uh, that just been learning more and more recently about branding and, and pertinent to your Smokey the Bear is I feel like you guys have done such a good job of like embracing this like uh, this like gesture vibe of like just having yeah. fun on chain with your homies and like carving yeah. that position against all the competitors like there's all these different competitors that are competing on like cost, speed, throughput, decentralization, and like bear change. Just like, dude, like we have the best memes. <laughs> I think that you know, I'm hoping that we can differentiate a number of those angles too. But I also do think that a lot of this is an attention economy thing at the moment, for better or for worse. Um, space is definitely rapidly maturing, but I think a lot of folks on chain um, share a relatively similar demographic uh, and have been like raised in this like internet era where. You know, you can you can sort of have fun with things a little bit more, right? For again, for better or for worse, right? So, um, I think that we really do try to have like what we've you know often referred to as like a, a bit of a mimetic Trojan horse internally, which is to say like you know lots of fun and a good time on the outside, and, and generally to be honest on the inside as well. Um, but you know, basically wrapping uh, wrapping up on the inside a whole bunch of good tech and a whole bunch of you know useful design and tokenomics that uh, hopefully push things to the next level a little bit. Definitely. Yeah, the uh, I like to think of, uh, not to get too far off track, but the ETF that recently got approved as somewhat of a Trojan horse. It's just kind of yeah. like small steps of adoption that, you know, ultimately lead to like that that last domino of the the entire uh, global economy happening on chain. Totally, man. And I think that like, you know, making things accessible goes a really long way. Um, I think that, you know, there's times where you'll see a deck, you'll see something that's like, okay, we're like a, a ZK and then like add another acronym and then like there's like there's some circuits and there's like some AI in there. Like I, I think someone actually tries to, to parse the idea and they're like, what the fuck am I looking at? Um, and perhaps the future of the space does have a lot of these things under the hood. Um, but I actually think uh, abstracting away some of the complexity does tend to, to be productive um, because, you know, I think one of the things that we've said uh, a bunch internally uh, is perhaps a, uh, an unfortunate truth of this space is like people don't read right people don't read people don't like to do math uh, when you look at the vast majority of users people like to look at something and be like okay do i understand this like really quickly 
Uh, and that's also one of the things that we've been, you know, working toward as much as possible with Parachain. Like, how do we make this, you know, grokkable in a second? How do you make these things easy to grasp, right? I think Solana has, has done a great job of doing that. For example, it's like, okay, there's like fast trans, fast and cheap transactions, good UX, right? Like, you know, I think that there's, it's, it's really important to make things bite-sized and digestible. Um, and I think that, you know, having a little bit of fun along the way can, can very much do so. Yeah. And even dive further into that uh, as we start with this holistic, holistic scope of kind of how you guys um, kind of kept the check this aura of, I guess, mysteriousness, similarly with kind of building behind the scenes, but also just like this like raving community. Like what are some of the, 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 the key takeaways from building that you have, especially through, through the bear as to how to keep the community so uh, engaged um, you know, and just kind of, again, on the positioning and branding side of things, just kind of having that differentiation, like, what would you say were some key takeaways that you've learned through the process leading up to testnet now, um, you know, that you could share with other builders for, you know, how they could really position, um, you know, what they're doing and, um, build their communities in such a way, uh, which you guys have. Yeah, no, thank you, man. Um. I think it's it's an interesting one. We've we've tried to think a lot about it in retrospect because even as we expand, we have to think a lot about like, you know, how do you maintain that edge or how do you maintain that that organic feeling? Because I think as as quest platforms start rolling out and as airdrop farmers and yada 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 all start like you know coming out of the woodworks, um, it's really easy to to lose that authenticity. Um, I think that a lot of it comes down to having the right pillars in the community, especially. Um, I think that like you know. Chainlink is probably one of the uh, you know groups that we you know tip our hats to the most or, or take some degree of inspiration from in terms of how they did it, in that they have very cool tech um, and some that you know, powers the majority of, of useful on-chain actions nowadays, or a very meaningful portion of it. But they also just had like the most autistic community possible, which was beautiful. Like they didn't care if price was up, they didn't care if price was down. Um, they were just like, yes, <laughs> I'm a lake marine, right? And um, I think that you know when when we try to go in retrospect on that. There is no substitute for actually like spending time with the community. And I know that's a little bit like corny slash like people are like, oh, community is just a meme. You can fork community, blah, blah, blah. Um, and listen, I think it is highly affected by price action. I, I don't think that anyone is, you know, oblivious to that fact. Um, I do think that, uh, you know, actually spending time with these folks, um, you know, understanding who they are, what they're motivated by, what their life stories are, so on and so forth, can go a long, long way. Um, and what it comes down to more than that is identifying, you know, those pillars within the community that can form their own sub-factions, Right. Um, so people who really identify with the vision, which I think can also very much be hard in, in crypto at times, because it's just in many cases, a, a hot rolling ball of money, um, you know, going from, from center of attention A to center of attention B, um, and, and finding those groups that can like, you know, basically act as nodes within your own ecosystem, right? Your community isn't selling funky validator stuff. Uh, so, you know, you have people who will, who will pop up and effectively, you know, end up creating their own tribe. And I think that gets really powerful. Um, and one of the reasons I thought a lot about like, you know, Chainlink in that same manner is, you know, people know about like the, the OG community guys at, at Chainlink, like, you know, they're, they're not unknown, like, you know, Rory and some of those folks. But, um, when you ask the community about like, who is a community lead, they'll throw like seven to 10 different names at you of like, just people who had their own like massive followings, right? Like Chainlink thought before you became Chainlink thought, Askbuster, so on and so forth. Um, it's just like, it's about having those figures that emerge naturally and that you sort of help. I'd say nurture into like pillars of the community and also making sure we have a good grasp on who those folks are and um, ensure that they're, you know, uh, constructive forces for good, because it's just as easy to have a bunch of like, you know, really shitty folks do the same thing. 
Um, so I guess you think of it as a curation process more than anything else. Um, and then I think that along the way, it's you know trying to find ways to, to add value and drive value to people, right? Whether that's keeping them informed about cool things, whether that is you know sharing you know little bits of information that flow around that you're exposed to. Um, just generally trying to be helpful, I feel, goes a long way as well, and, and good communities are built around that. Um, and then I think a lot of it also comes from the initial curation, right? Uh, a lot of the you know group that formed Barachain sort of came out of a number of these different like DeFi 2.0 ecosystems. Um, so the groups from like Curve and like Alchemix and Ohm and so on and so forth, like they all they all uh, served as that initial user base or, or bear holder base, if you will. Um, and they were used to like just memeing the shit out of things and like flooding their own bags and just generally being lackadaisical. And I think that having that at the core of the community actually helped us massively. Um, I think that if we had gone ground up, um, you know, without uh, that sort of initial user base to, to grow out of and have like, you know, guide the culture, it could have been much, much more difficult. I love the the sentiment you describe around the community and how each member of the community, it, it's, they're, they're funky validated. And I think that that is, that's a very interesting mental model to think about how the uh, kind of the beacons uh, and each individual within the community they they play very similar roles that kind of like gossiping to other nodes um and how each each member of the community is a node in that funky community validator set um and there's yeah. a lot of parallels that that we could draw there no big time like i i honestly hadn't thought about it before and then i was like that's actually not the worst mental model for it right like um they they do they they carry a massive role within the network they got you know they have peer-to-peer interactions they sometimes take down the network, um, and they got to update their priors every now and then. So you know, there's there's definitely some some overlap. Very cool. And to double click on like how you guys like were able to amass like this community and 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 also intertwine these vibes across different sets. Um, you mentioned you yeah. know a few other projects that the Barachain community spawned from. What was what's you know, how did you kind of like pick up members of each of those communities? How did you bring all of those pre-existing projects and communities together? Yeah, I, I think it was a, like at the time, this was the summer of 2021. Um, my co-founder Papa and I were spending a lot of time in a number of these different like project discords and servers. Just like, honestly, in some cases, just fucking around and having fun. In other cases, discussing, you know, just speculating on various nonsense, right? And I think that when you find enough like, you know, kindred souls kind of thing, then um, it, it becomes a little bit easier to rally them around a certain cause. And I remember at the time we were like, we really thought the parallel was super cool. Still do. I think they're doing a lot of really good things, like the, the NFT game. Um, and we were like, you know, it could be kind of fun to just like have fun with something in the NFT space and see where it goes. Um, and it really was not that serious. And, and Pop was like, all right, let's make a hundred JPEGs of bear smoking wheat and see what happens. Um, and I was like, I, <laughs> so we then in fact, we raffled them off in some of these different discords. Um, and, you know, I think there was overlap among those communities as well. So it's easy to, you know, see someone from home and then the practice Discord and they're like, oh, you know, this, this sort of goes one-to-one, right? Um, and I think that, uh, that stringing those groups together really, uh, came together relatively, uh, naturally, right? Um, it was folks who were both, you know, risk on enough to not give a shit about like eating like what was 0.069 ETH at the time at, at a, you know, an NFT of a bear smoking weed. Um, but we're also like, okay, maybe this could turn into something a little bit more interesting given its roots. Um, but yeah, there, there really were no plans for the chain. There was no plans for like, the rebasing NFTs or whatever was off the gate, out of the gates. It was just like, okay, let's fuck around, find out and see what happens. Um, so I think that that curation that happened over time was 
part was just largely because we were already having fun in certain communities. Um, and by, you know, sort of by, by nature, um, it became logical for, for those groups to, to be dragged along. Yep. Yep. I think that totally makes sense. Um, do you guys have a name for your community? Just the Barras? Just the Barras, man. I think that, you know, we've been playing around with that, you know, Barra Brigade kind of thing more recently. I think that there's, there's something to that. Um, I wouldn't say that it's like locked as of yet, but I think there, there's something there. But you don't want to be, you want to be easy and approachable. Um, I think that we've seen a lot of like, funny other things spawn up recently like there's like people being like mina mommies um then there's like tia something else that i won't say um but like there's they're just like there's been some good some good uh you know alliteration memes so i've, I've also been thinking about that like is it bear baddies i don't know but there, there's definitely something in, in the mix banger yo so, so so digging a bit a bit deeper into um like kind of the tech here um if yeah and i and uh, I, I, I like, I also like the mental model and kind of like the learning uh, mechanism of these like uh, bite size um, pieces uh, of mm-hmm. of these models. Um, yeah. And if we look at like uh, like Barrett Chain's Twitter bio, there's I I pick out three bite size pieces of information that we can kind of like put together the Barrett Chain. Um, so the three are. EVM equivalent L1, two is built on the Cosmos SDK, and the third piece is that it's powered by proof of liquidity. Um, you yep. mentioned that one one of the uh, communities that was kind of like part of Barachain's origin story was Ohm. Um, so I, yep. I'd like to I'd like to start with proof of liquidity, and and then yeah. these other bite size uh, pieces of information in in C- yeah, for sure, man. Um, so is it most helpful if I just sort of like dive in and explain how, how POL works effectively slash like what proof of liquidity really is? Definitely. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, so proof of liquidity as we see it is effectively a, a variant on delegated proof of stake. Um, and it's it's not uh, it's not super complex or super funky. I, I think the best way to think about it is that it's really meant to align incentives between liquidity and security at the protocol level. Um, so how that works in application is that effectively the only way to earn the staking token and our governance token of bear chain, which is called BGT or the bear governance token, uh, a little bit on the notes, um, is by first doing the work of providing liquidity to a set of core primitives. Um, and over time, any smart contract that's approved by governance that's built on bear chain. Um, so the way that works is that the chain itself, you know, has a full, you know, EVM environment that you can deploy whatever set of these smart contract on. Um, but there's also a couple, you know, very basic DeFi Legos that are built into the chain. Um, this is effectively a you know a, a an ambient liquidity dex, a um, perpetual futures vault, and a stablecoin lending market. Um, and users can basically LP in in, in you know, these three things off the bat, and you know, eligible pools across these three services, um, which are meant to be there on one hand to you know attract initial liquidity, but on the other hand to, to bootstrap security um, and to ensure that any of these sources of of generation of the staking token are safe, um, as opposed to from a third party uh, contract. Um, so you basically LP in those and you receive the BGT token. There's no way to market buy BGT. Um, there's no way to go on Binance and, and just get a bunch of BGT. You have to do the work of providing liquidity to the ecosystem in order to earn it. Um, and the way that we see that is there's a whole bunch of different ways of, of playing it, but it's effectively, you know, you are turning your liquidity into a form of security without sacrificing that same liquidity. Your, your liquidity remains useful. It is providing value and, and adding value to the on-chain ecosystem. 
but in turn, it is allowing um, you know security to be added to the chain itself in the form of that BGT token generation. Um, and I think that that is really what what makes proof of liquidity pretty exciting. Um, and that in order for there to be security, there must be liquidity. Um, and then if you think about you know sort of how that evolves over time, um, a lot of what we think about uh, with within Verichain is you know how do we actually have a reason for applications to exist on our network? Uh, I think that it's so so easy to you know spin up a random UniV2 fork or like, you know, an Aave fork or whatever it is and just dump them somewhere and, you know, try to like farm for grants or be like, hey, like, you know, this is going to fill a, a Mad Lib-like role in this ecosystem. Um, our goal was really to find a way um, for applications building on Barachain to be uniquely advantaged or really to have an edge by building there and a reason to exist there. Um, so what that really means actually is that, um, you know, once the chain goes live and, you know, as users start accumulating BGT, et cetera, um, there can effectively be a government's vote at any point in time, um, allowing for other smart contracts or other pools on the network to become eligible sources of BGT yield, such that one can basically LP in that pool. Let's say it's an NFT AMM, let's say it's a social FI platform, let's say it's an options vault, whatever it may be, uh, and actually receive emissions in the form of the, the chain staking token, um, as opposed to perhaps just the emissions of the fees of the protocol that they're LPing in. Um, so for protocols, it's really meant to decrease their cost of, of, you know, user acquisition or capital acquisition and liquidity attraction. Um, and for the chain, uh, the way that it actually works is that the distribution of block rewards across the entire network is set by the validators, um, which we've never actually, you know, seen or, you know, had happened before. Um, so validators effectively each have their own, you know, set of like what we either call a cutting board, a gauge, effectively a pie chart, um, where they forward their, the, their block rewards minus their commission. Um, to these liquidity pools across the network. So to start, it's just, you know, pools across the decks, the purpose lending market. Um, but as more and more, you know, applications launch on the chain, um, all these can become eligible. So it actually also encourages protocols to work with validators um, and to, you know, basically find ways to bootstrap their own liquidity by cutting a deal with the validator as, and saying, hey, you know, I'm going to give you this amount of my native token um, or this amount of, you know, emissions of some other form in exchange for you directing BDT emissions towards my protocol or my pool on the chain decks. Um, so we really think about it as, you know, an incredibly, I think, user and protocol centric chain, but giving validators an unprecedented degree of influence around economic incentives and, and the actual operations of the chain. Um, and I think the, the last part that probably, you know, helps make this go around slash make a little more sense is that we, of course, care a lot about BGT holders because, um, you know, they're the folks who are, who are, have provided liquidity in the first place. They're driving a whole bunch of value to the network. Um, then, and, and basically any application being powered by the chain has a portion of its fees um, being pushed towards BGT holders. Um, so in that manner, you know, BGT also becomes an asset that is, you know, useful for people to hold on to uh, in terms of basically, um, you know, being bullish on activity flowing through uh, Baritune as a whole network itself. Um, so ideally, over time, more and more applications are becoming powered by proof of liquidity and the users who are staking BGT, securing the chain, um, and basically, you know, delegating to those validators are effectively, you know, earning fees from the entire network's operation and the all, the suite of applications that is powered by the chain. Um, and then I think the last part of the equation is that at any point in time, your BGT can be burned one way into Bera, the liquid gas token of the network. So you effectively have a set of choices. You can either hold your BGT um, and by staking with different validators have an influence on where emissions go across the network uh, and earn fees from the network's operation and all the applications that are on top of it, or you can hold a liquid, uh, you know, token Barra and be exposed to to that, and then have that liquidity preference. Um, so it really comes down to whatever people want to, you know, whichever whichever choice people want to make. Um, yeah, I just rambled a whole bunch at you guys, but I hope that made made a high level sense. 
uh, and can help, you know, break it down as needed. Definitely. Yeah. Incredible tokenomics. And I, I'm, I'm sure Andy wants to keep going, um, on that, on that path. I did, just to, to make sure that this is an actionable piece that, that our listeners can take away. Yeah. Um, what, what, what do you recommend? Like, how do you, what is the mechanism for, for our audience to acquire BGT? And then, you know, you also mentioned how that unlocks this world of possibilities. Um, we talked, you, you did mention that, uh, you must provide liquidity to the network, um, in order to get BGT, uh, where should they go? How, how should we do that? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a few different ways you can do that. One is, you know, I think the, the simplest or one of the easiest ways of doing that. Um, is the fact that we just like LPing in the decks, right? There'll be a two pools that'll be eligible for emissions out of the, out of the gates. Um, there'll be a pool with some of the majors. There'll be a pool with different stables. Um, there'll be a pool with Bera slash Honey, like the network stablecoin, which is you know one to one collateralized by USDC, etc. Um, I'm trying to think what else will be relevant. There'll be the Perps Vault, where you can like you know choose to collateralize the vault using um, Honey again, just like the, the one to one stablecoin. Um, so I think all both of those are quite easy. Um, and then there's also going to be opportunities within the the lending market, I believe, upon launch. So um, the way I would think about it is, you know, depending on your risk parameter, you can hold, you know, you can hold volatile assets like, you know, wrap Bitcoin or ETH or Bera perhaps, um, and then LP them, you know, within the DEX to, to basically be, you know, exposed to those BGT, uh, those BGT rewards. Um, you can collateralize the purpose vault, you can get involved in the lending market. I think it, it'll really just be up to one's risk parameters. Um, and then for application builders, I think, you know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of different ways that they can play on Bear Chain. Um, you know, the simplest one is, is probably, you know, basically launching their smart contracts, launching their front end, what have you. Um, and then, you know, lot, pushing forward a, a government's vote saying, Hey, we're going to give, you know, X percent of our fees, uh, to, to the B, to BGT stakers. And in exchange, we want to become, or in Y percent of emissions, perhaps to BGT stakers in exchange, we want to become eligible for emissions, you know, within the chain gauges effectively. Uh, and then they'd try to partner up with different validators to say, Hey, you guys should direct a portion of your block rewards towards us. Um, and I think that that can, you know, just be super exciting for protocols that are looking to to basically bootstrap their liquidity and user base because they'll effectively have juiced emissions from the chain itself, um, along with whatever native token emissions they might they might choose to use. Um, yeah, and then I think that you know we're we're setting up matchmaking systems and stuff like that as well. Such that users, I'd say primarily primarily protocols and validators can find ways to work together. Um, and then there'll be sort of a, a number of these pages that actually demonstrate. Uh, the yields, you know, just from the pool activities and, you know, just from the perps operating, what have the interest rates on the lending markets on the fourth, along with that, when boosted by BGT yields, when, when relevant. And when does that functionality become available? Yeah. So like that's going to be available, like right out the gates, um, the, the perps and or lending market, um, you know, maybe turned on by, by governance over time. Um, just want to be very careful about how that process is handled. Um, but I think that from our end, uh, to, to start earning BGT very simply with the DEX upon mainnets and all the different products are, are available on the test net right now for people to get more familiar with. Yeah, I've gotten word that the arcade mode in the test net, excuse me, has uh, <laughs> been a little, little bit slammed trying on that thing, but I've heard it's quite, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, you know, the honey mentor, which is what allows you to turn your USDC into honey. As two modes, there's like a, a simple mode, and then there's like an arcade mode, like a claw machine and stuff. Just because we thought that'd be kind of fun. Um, so <laughs> uh, I would recommend giving that a go. Hopefully, when things are a little bit jankier, uh, less janky, I should say. Yeah, cool. Um, so with regards to the dual token design, how yeah, uh, how is the 
supposed non-fungible token. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you plan to make, how do you plan to ensure there's no market for that? Because like in EVM chains, you can just spin up a Uniswap market for anything. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, is it, is it transferable? What's the, what's the kind of tech behind that? Yeah, you got it. It will effectively be so be so bound, right? So like you know the the way that people will see their PGT is effectively just like a, a number in their wallet kind of thing. We may be able to have like a I think a proxy ERC ticker as well that that just shows like their their, their PGT balance, um, just for ease of, of you know keeping an eye on things. Um, but really the token will be so bound and we you know we won't be able to one will not be able to create like a locked or liquid market for it in any manner. Right. Okay. Cool. Yep. Um. And then why did you choose Cosmos SDK? And yeah. how how has your design choices from, I mean, shit, and it, was, it must have been 2021 uh, when I first heard about BearChain, so, um, or early 22. How have your design choices changed over the time as we've evolved into you know, all different types of uh, blockchains and um, you know, just what's happened over the bear until now? How is your, <laughs> how's your, how's your, you know, yeah, for sure. I think what we've um, where we've probably done most over time is is air towards you know safer systems, especially uh, at the gates. Um, I think there's been times where we've had more um, you know aggressive goals, if you will, in terms of how spicy we could make some of these products. Um, but uh, you know, as we talk to more and more experienced builders, as we battle tested more and more things internally, I think we also really want to make sure that we um, stay incredibly uh, cognizant of the fact that. We're going to be trying a new thing for the first time in the form of proof of liquidity. Um, and it's important to make sure that we don't have too many avenues for risk. Um, I'd love to be able to make things cooler and cooler over time, whether that be at the dex layer, whether that be at the perps layer, whether that be at, you know, different sort of, I'd say, uh, mechanisms around POL, um, even, you know, stablecoin type stuff. But to start, we want to make things incredibly, incredibly safe um, and also incredibly, incredibly legal, to be very clear. Um, there's, there's no fun in... Uh, and people having to deal with alphabet agencies, and that's why we, we've tried to take you know, every step possible to remain compliant with all the work that we do. Um, and, you know, so we can be sort of bare smoke and we chain and less serious on the outside, but we can also be very serious when it comes to, to the stuff that really matters. Um, I think that when it comes to like our vision of building like on Cosmos slash EVM on Cosmos as a whole, um, we had a you know a brief brief flirting session with Ethermint and and you know trying to use that as our, our library of choice, um, but really found that from I'd say a few different angles. We we ran into some issues just from a quality of life slash ease of use point of view. Um, and you know, we made we basically made the I'd say the jump at some point and said, Hey, let's let's go and, and do what we can to basically um I'd say build our own VM from the ground up, which is Polaris. Um and Polaris is effectively our implementation of EVR on Cosmos. I'm trying to give it a little bit more of a modular structure. I'm trying to make sure that we would basically have, you know, a full, you know, uh, GetRP, uh, you know, like GetRPC compatibility, um, and basically do everything we can to replicate an EVM-like or an EVM equivalent user experience uh, without having to reinvent the wheel. Because um, while we are a Cosmos chain from a value logic point of view, I very much do see us as an EVM, you know, facing chain, if you will, uh, in terms of our user base, in terms of our developer base, um, and want to do, you know, as much as possible to make that. Uh, like easy for people to use over time because i think there's already so much friction in terms of you know uh, basically building in new ecosystems um and we want to make sure that from a dev tooling point of view from an ease of use point of view from a, you know familiarity point of view there were things there that people knew whether that be interfaces for some of the core applications that are built into the chain or just broadly the dev environment so you know we we tried um we tried out stuff with ethermint at first and just found that it, it wasn't you know the, the most ideal option for us 
um, so then built out Polaris, and it's been exciting to see more adoption of that. You know, there's teams like Argus and Weedman Cash and a few others in Stealth that want to actually use it as, as their VM of choice as well. So we're really excited to be, you know, helping to, um, to I guess, help other builders a little bit. Um, and would love to be able to dedicate more time towards it itself down the road. Um, just right now, have been all hands on deck on sort of core bear chain stuff. Um, and then I think that beyond that, we've just tried to make sure that our, our apps are, are simple and safe and super battle tested. Um, so slight improvements or variations of, of known designs such so we can, you know, mitigate as much risk as possible when we're bringing bear chain to life because there's just so many different things happening at once and you have to ma- minimize, you know, attack area for, for things to go wrong. Um, just because I think, you know, if you, you've been in the space for the last few years, you've seen how many wild hacks and bugs we've seen. Um, and you've seen how, you know, the tiniest, tiniest errors of like 0.0001 or whatever on Kyber um, could result in, you know, one of the the most known or oldest primitives, uh, you know, ending up hit, right? So uh, in short, I think that we've, we've erred towards safety and we've erred towards um, solving problems that, that absolutely need to be solved to ensure that DevX and user experience are, are optimized. Um, and in the interim, just trying to do our best to uh, to make sure that we maintain a very high qual- uh, bar of quality in terms of everything we do. And the other thing that's probably changed the most is the stablecoin honey. Um, Honey's had like a few different iterations. There's, you know, one that was going to be more spicy uh, and have like multiple different manners in which it was going to be collateralized. There was another one that was a little more CDPS, but especially with like, you know, um, legislation and, and some of the bills that are there under consideration at the moment, um, we wanted to keep things as incredibly kosher as possible. Um, and moreover, just encourage people to find exciting uses for honey as, uh, as we expand, uh, you know, broadly over time. Taking a quick commercial break here to tell you guys about our lovely sponsors. Right before we get back to this fascinating discussion, we have a message from our current sponsors. Here we go. I want to take a moment to introduce you to our sponsor, Premia Finance. Premia is a native options protocol that offers market-driven pricing and capital-efficient returns for traders and liquidity providers. With Premia, you can trade options on a variety of different crypto assets. What sets Premium apart is its unique pricing mechanism, which is based on the market's expectation of future volatility. This means that options prices are always in line with market conditions, which provides traders with the most fair and transparent pricing. Recently, Premium has just launched their Options Academy, where you can learn for free how to become a proficient options trader. Feel free to check it out at premium.finance, hedge your risks, or amplify your positions um, to earn more capital-efficient returns on Premium Finance. Thank you. And another exciting sponsor to introduce you is Plana Finance. I've recently been onboarded as an advisor for Plana Finance, which is one of the first self-custodial wallets to support account abstraction. With Plana Finance, you can revolutionize your crypto experience and take control of your assets like never before. Say goodbye to the hassle of managing multiple wallets. Hello to a seamless, user-friendly experience. Plana Finance allows you to easily manage your assets, swap tokens, and earn rewards all in one place on your mobile phone. They have an app in the Apple App Store as well as in the Google Play Store. Uh, with Plana Finance's self-custodial wallet, you hold the keys to your assets, ensuring the highest level of security and privacy. With tons of cool features like gasless trading, um, interesting yield competitions, and cool NFTs, there's an amazing amount of effort going into building this app that already has tens of thousands of users. So what are you waiting for? Download Planet Finance today and experience the future of crypto wallets. Yeah, it's, it, it is easier to get a little bit more exotic as time goes on. Um, it, it's tough to kind of like put that genie back in the bottle if, if that's how it starts. You got it. I think it's a lot easier. And especially when the network is decentralized, then 
you know, the, the, you know, our initial work or our initial contributions on the software side really aren't what determine the outcomes. Um, it's very much, you know, what the community tries to push it towards. And I think, you know, as, as the core team, as the foundation, we'll always do everything we can to err on the, the side of caution. And I think we'll, we'll try to recommend the community to do the same. Um, though ultimately we don't have, we don't have full control of that or, or really any control. We wouldn't be participating in any of that stuff. Right. So, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be exciting to see, but I hope that it airs towards, you know, sustainability for the long term. Very cool. So the, the, the community is already, is already relatively vast. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's a common term to say like, uh, like, you know, when it's decentralized, it always seems like it's kind of like something that, um, you know, we're, we're reaching for and never can quite grasp. What is that? Um, what does that path to decentralization look like? You know, it, and maybe this, this could be phrased in a way that it's like a, it's like a, a message to the community, um, because it's ultimately in the game and, you know, what does that path look like and what are some of the milestones and ultimate goals? Yeah. Um, to your question, man, I think as, as we think about it, um, things that get interesting over time are, on one hand, of course, making sure that we have as decentralized as the validator set as possible, um, because I think that does play a massive role, especially within the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, from a perspective of geography, from a perspective of alignment, you know, there's there's your classic staking shops like your Figments and your Kilns and your Coinbase Clouds and so on and so forth. But you've also got you know um, different like geographical communities like the massive validator group in Vietnam or Thailand or what have you, right? Um, so I think we want to make sure that we have you know a broad variety of people's um, opinions represented. Um, I think that with the added you know, uh, I'd say intertwinement between or intertwining of, of liquidity and security here. It's also really important that um, the validators and the community itself helps new projects um, and groups that are new to the ecosystem gets off getting off the ground um, and, you know, errs away from gatekeeping or sort of having like a, an insider's club of sorts, right? Um, I think it's very easy for these things to form. I think they almost naturally do form under almost any scenario. But I don't think that should be the norm. I think that should be an exception, really, right? You should do as much as you can to enable new entrants to the ecosystem. I think it's a fiscally aligned incentive, and I think it's generally a morally or like, you know, philosophically aligned incentive as well. Um, and then I think that beyond that, um, it will be important to make sure that the system remains in a state where it can continue working as, as desired, which is to say, like, can it continue helping to power the best applications and drive value to the users who are in turn inputting value into the ecosystem? Um, so when I think about like decentralization, I think of it, I guess, a lot of it from a point of view of incentive design. Um, you want everyone to have, uh, you know, a vote and everyone to be able to, to say as they will. Um, and I do think that a lot of the ways that the network is designed um, is effectively set up to like to basically have that as a starting point. Like even with each validator able to set their own, you know, set of incentives for how their BGT rewards are distributed effectively, which informs the overall, uh, you know, reward rates across the network. Um, I think that's pretty cool from a stake decentralization point of view, because you can have, you know, different validators partnering with different protocols, different LPs incentivized to delegate to validator A over validator B, depending on how much of their stake they're basically, or how much of their vote they're effectively pushing towards an LP that that delegate may already be, you know, providing uh, liquidity to versus not, right? Um, so I think we've tried to bake in as many, as many of those ideals as possible. Um, and I think that a lot of it also comes down to the team being able to like bow their head out of things, right? Like, uh, I, I've often thought about how within my own team on like the growth side at, at Verachain, um, I feel like I've done my job if I can step back and you know not have to do like not have to to, to say things and or guide the group, uh, and things continue operating 
you know, as intended or, or constructively. And I, I imagine the network has a relatively similar, um, you know, ideal end state, which is to say the core team should not have to say, hey, do this, hey, do that. Uh, in fact, it should almost explicitly not do so. Um, the core team should be able to say, hey, guys, you know, here are the things that uh, upon setting out uh, have been exciting and, and where we think the network can be, you know, most constructive perhaps in, in building the future and, or, you know, pushing the envelope a little bit. Um, and really been in your hands to to do with it as you wish, right, in terms of direction. And I, I think that is the whole point of, of decentralized governance. Um, and I think that for us, it'll be really interesting because the people who have that decentralized governance will be the people who are willing to have the opportunity cost and are willing to do the work of providing their, their liquidity, which I really think of as a, its own sort of like public good of sorts. So, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm very curious to see the, the games that will evolve on BearChain and uh, I'd love to see the community be as responsible as possible, as supportive as possible, and as welcoming as possible uh, to new entrants. Because if done right, I think it can really be the home for cool new stuff. Lovely. Let's talk just about that community and the openness and responsiveness with regards to the NFTs that were um, on the market for some time um, and mm -hmm. now the incentivized test net. So, I would love to understand a quick primer as to your thinking with regards to those NFTs now, uh, as well as how our community can best get involved with being such a vice testnet and kind of what the plans are for that. Yeah, for sure. Um, NFTs, I can't comment on too much, but they are definitely, you know, our roots slash where we came from. We have a lot of love for the bears. Um, and, you know, as we've always said, they're, they're good JPEGs. Um, so, you know, I've, I've never sold a bear and I don't think I'm going to start anytime soon. Um, to be clear, that's nowhere close to financial advice. I'm a very bad trader. Um, I just think that it's, uh, I like the bears. <laughs> um, and I think that's been exciting to see a whole bunch of other, of other community ecosystem projects pop up. Um, I think it's just always important to make sure that folks are also doing their research in terms of what they're, you know, what they're buying and or what they're getting involved in. Um, because sometimes it's very easy to say, oh, this is going to be like, you know, X exposure, Y exposure when it may not actually be the case. So always good to just do their own work there. Um, in terms of the incentivized testnet and what's happening there, um, as you've mentioned, the testnet is in fact incentivized. Um, and we want to make sure that you know folks who are participating there um, are providing us with, on one hand, um, tons of like really useful uh, you know feedback and support from a UX point of view, from a dev experience point of view. Um, we had our own like many private tests as well. Really appreciated the feedback from those guys too. Um, so in short, you know we, we care a lot about the, the folks who help us and take bets on us at the early stage because it takes a lot of you know, time and effort to do different things on testnet, whether that's deploying contracts, building dashboards, or actually just using the damn thing. Um, so, you know, there'll be a series of quest platforms and, and groups that we roll out. Uh, and we also plan on doing a couple of uh, contests or programs internally. Um, there's one that'll probably roll out within, you know, the next few weeks that'll be, um, you know, around, you know, engaging ecosystem applications and projects and, you know, sort of a fun game over there. Uh, and then there's another couple things that we're looking at closer to the end of the testnet period um, that will involve a whole bunch of college teams and a competition as well, because we want to be able to, to draw in the best talent that's, you know, percolating at universities right now. Um, so in short, we think there's a, a way for everyone to get involved. Um, and we'll eventually see what we can do about people who want to, you know, sync their own RPC, you know, et cetera, stuff like that. Um, for now, it's just a little bit trickier to have uh, too many people getting involved there just because, you know, with uh, with our, our uh, valve set limit sizes from, from on the SDK side, um, we can only have like you know 100 and change nodes, right? Before things get really messy in terms of actual you know validators. Um, but apart from that, trying to find ways that everyone can help contribute if they should, so wish. Um, but yeah, TLDR, if you're a user, fuck around, mess around the test net, try the core dApps, and then try some of the applications that'll be building on top of it that we'll be announcing shortly. 
Um, if you're a developer, there's going to be a whole bunch of different initiatives, whether that's our incubator program uh, called build a Vera that we recently announced, um, whether that is, you know, helping to build a project on the chain itself that'll be part of the ecosystem down the road, um, or whether that is, you know, setting up your own private RPC infrastructure, et cetera. Lovely. Yeah. And so that's a, the, the validated situation is a result of the Tendermint uh, kind of model. Um, so even though that you guys are, um, in, as Rob said, in the bio EVM equivalent, you guys will still be running the, the validator set normally through like, um, you know, Kepler dashboard, for example, like just as a, as a Cosmos app chain would, right? Uh, so not, not necessarily from through a Kepler dashboard, we have sort of like our own, like, uh, I guess, trackers slash like, you know, um, think like, uh, like a, like a station type app that allows you to see all the different validators and, and, you know, uh, effective their setups. Um, and users will be able to interact with the chain super like natively on the EVM side through MetaMask, et cetera, um, and working on Rabby support at the moment and a couple others. Um, but in short, like, you know, it's, it's very much as we think about like EVM on the top, Cosmos on the bottom. So uh, like from, or, you know, EVM in the front, Cosmos in the back, if you want to go build very cyber style, um, you know, we, we, you can interact with it and, you know, be able to bridge with a, with a very trusted partner that we'll announce very shortly um, on the EVM side. Uh, and then you'll be able to, you know, basically employ classic Cosmos value launching on the Cosmos side. This is the L1 mullet. That that's exactly it. That is exactly what. Yeah, do you think you have like the? Do you think you have like the best of both worlds? That is that kind of the, the thesis. That's the goal. That's very much the goal, right? Like I think the way that, and, and I've been very happy to be vocal about this, right? Um, I think the Cosmos has had a lot of the right ideas and a lot of the right end vision um, over time. Uh, I think its execution has been absolutely horrible. Um, as in, I think it's it's often lacked a degree of leadership. I think it's often lacked an actual direction or like an urgency of sorts. Um, and the Ethereum ecosystem has uh, seen a lot of these ideas and like moved relatively quickly on them. Um, whether that be restaking, whether that be rollups, like everything in between, right? Even the modular thesis and app chain thesis is starting to play out in, in the EVM world. Um, and that is really where the devs are. That's really where the capital is. And that's really where um, the degree of attention is, is much higher. And we talked sort of about the attention economy earlier. Um, so I think that the ideal world for, for Cosmos is one where Cosmos abstraction actually takes hold and there's Cosmos under the hood, but you know, people aren't necessarily yelling about it. Um, I can't tell you the number of investors I've chatted with uh, over time have been like, oh, like Cosmos chain. Ugh, I'm not, not too sure about that. Um, and they're like, oh, never mind. EVM compatible. They're like, oh, okay, EVM chain, but Cosmos too. Nice. Um, and I think the way that we've often thought about it is, is it possible to get the best of both worlds from a tech stack point of view? So, you know, devs and, and capital from the EVM side and modularity slash interoperability from the Cosmos side. Is it possible to get the best of both worlds from a, you know, liquidity attraction point of view, right? Can we effectively serve as this hub between EVM and Cosmos, um, especially once we have IBC enabled, et cetera? Such that there's effectively the greatest total accessible liquidity out of any existing network at the moment. Um, those are the boxes that we think about checking. And those are the areas where we think it makes a lot of sense. And I feel like a lot of the groups that have done really well um, as Cosmos chains in the last little while haven't necessarily been yelling that they're Cosmos chains. Like I think Celestia and DYDX are both good examples of that, right? Um, so I think maybe that's a controversial take in some manner. And, and say too, you got it, right? Like they don't talk a ton about being Cosmos, but they totally are. Um, and I think each of them have made their own, you know, meaningful advances, right? So um, I think that the the brand itself is a little bit poisonous. I think the tech stack itself is quite powerful. So you know, we'll we'll, we'll call it we'll call it. But but it's 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 a good one though because 
you know, you ask the average person about their staking Tia for airdrops situation, and they don't even think it. They have no idea. I mean, obviously, they have to go on Cosmos to stake, but you don't really think of that. And similarly with say, obviously, there's intricacies in the difference, but um, yeah, that's an interesting design choice. Um, and so I, I imagine that you guys could then, um, you know, kind of sift communities from from, from both, right? I mean, that's exactly it. It's it's about you know what is your what's your total addressable market right and um, we think there's a, a meaningful market on both sides and again transparently I think we wait towards the EVM side and that's why a lot of our a lot of our work to date has been you know sort of trying to cater to that as much as possible um, but I don't think it's it's wise to neglect the Cosmos community I think there's a lot of, of exciting stuff happening there um, just really bad at drawing the right eyes to it <laughs> in most cases yeah fair enough. Um... So then when it comes to interop with regards to EVM and other Cosmos chains, is uh, I'm not exactly sure the bridging experience for testnet. So maybe you could tell our users how that works, community, and then kind of yeah, I I imagine it'll be somewhat of a seamless experience to get from, you know, EVM to Bera and also Cosmos app chains to Bera as well. Yeah, you got it. So right now, um, you know, the, the way that we're looking at things is um, we we can't really disclose yet, but we'll have a bridging partner that is super well known and um, on all the the best TVM chains, in my opinion. Um, they'll be uh, you know live with us day one. It will be on our testnet fairly shortly as well. Um, so it should be super easy to go from Bear to any other chain with that in, in hand. Um, and then I think that uh, you know on the on the you know bridging to Cosmos app chains and the entire ecosystem side, um, we're working to get uh, to make sure the IBC is enabled as quickly as possible. Um, an interim measure might end up working with like a group like Union Bill that can sort of have a little bit like, you know, IBC and the smart contract kind of thing, which then can be super exciting. Um, not locked in there yet, to be clear, but definitely discussing sort of collaborations because we don't want to cut ourselves uh, shy of those sorts of opportunities. Um, but uh, the goal is really to have inroads from from every angle possible. Um, and then, you know, if we think about, uh, if we think about, um, you know, effectively the, the IBC side down the road, there's even pretty cool opportunities to be able to do things on them. Um, uh, on, on uh, sorry, on Polkadot and, and like some of those other ecosystems as well. Probably not a top priority at the moment, but yeah. The, the reason I, I paused slash got distracted there is because I got a message from that saying the group chat for the bridge partner that I mentioned saying, "Hey, we're live on testnet now between all these different testnets." So just let us know when you want us to to rip. And I was like, "Okay, cool." Nice. We are uh, we we are big fans of Union um, over here. I think that the DK based light client bridging from ICCD EVM is very powerful. Um, you know what you what you want is 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 an interrupt to, uh, solution that baked in that is uh, that you know that 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 removes all the trust assumptions that the, that some of the models have today. Um, so yeah, I got it. We'll understand how that works. It seems like you've got that one figured out, um, and excited to see some of that happen because from again from the user's perspective, you got to make it easy. Um, and so oh, of course, it's a that's something that you got to focus on. 100%, man. And, and and that's exactly it. Like, we don't want it to be... Like, I think there are some chains that have been held back by um, their accessibility or lack thereof. Um, like, I think that in the early days of Kanto, you know, it, would be, it was a little bit trickier to get on board there, but I think they did a great job over time of working with more and more partners, whether that was, you know, Synapse, Layer Zero, what have you, to, to make it easier to access the chain. Um, and I think that, you know, our goal is to, to make that as smooth as possible from day one. Um, especially if folks are coming from different ecosystems. Yes, definitely. And 
I, I think we could dive deeper into interop, but I have this burning question that I've been I've been meaning to ask about the EVM equivalence because I saw yeah. some, some community members and, and some research on on the EVM part of Verachain calling it EVM plus or mm-hmm. EVM equivalent plus. What is that? What is that? Yeah. Like what's the difference between the just plain equivalence and yeah, what is that plus? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question, man. Um, and I think the dev bear will probably give a better answer, but I'll, I'll give my shot here, which is that, you know, we have all the standard features of, a EV, of an EVM environment in terms of, you know, being able to drag and drop your slowly smart contracts. Um, but then there's also these uh, these things called like stateful precompile. So we have built into our EVM slash Polaris. Um, and so what stateful precompiles basically allow you to do is to call on Cosmos SDK modules from within the EVM. So you can call on the bank modules or something like that, for example, right? Um, you can use these for a number of different re- uh, ways. You could use this for, you know, beginning slash end of block computation. You could use this for, you know, bridging and or oracles down the road. There's a whole bunch of funky use cases. Um, many are easier said than done, um, but we're also pretty excited to see what people can cut up with those. Uh, they sometimes have great dev UX. Other times they can be a little bit tricky to work with. So it's very much, you know, at one's disposal if they want to interact with something via precompiler or not. But I think that's part of what we, we refer to as EVM plus in that, um, you know, when we talked to, when I, I was at like, you know, Someone asked him to explain, like, you know, what a stable precompile was, slash, why it's exciting for, um, for Argus, slash, you know, for them using Polaris. And it's like it's like a cheat code for the EVM. You can basically add like a layer of pre-processing um, before submitting an actual transaction, which I think is kind of cool. Very cool. Yeah, and and so it's it's all about the it's about the time to finality is the important part. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's about the time. To- I wouldn't necessarily that say that. I think it's more like you're actually able to like you're actually able to execute a transaction from EVM that's calling upon a module in the S- on the Cosmos SDK side, um, without having to like you know bridge from Eco A to Eco B in order to make that happen. It's it's sort of happening within the EVM, but parallel processing within Cosmos. And is is it the uh, is it the precompile that allows that to happen? Correct. Correct. Yeah, and so so and so basically, you just get that code base from. The interop part of like from union or, or from um something behind the scenes which the user almost doesn't even realize has happened it, it's exact i think it's exactly that in that you can choose to call on it or not and then you can choose to use pre if you'd like to but you don't necessarily have to it's really just like at one's disposal if they should wish right um so i think that's why you know evm plus isn't a bad way of thinking about it and i'll apologize in advance to any of our, our devs who hear this in case i butcher things there but yeah um, what, what I mean by that is like, there's that additional layer that that's an option for people to try out. So that's what took these damn devs so long, huh, Rob? And <laughs> they're cooking. Devs are doing things indeed. They are, they are turning the EVM into its, uh, into its, its, uh, faster, like next generation. It's like EVM. Okay. I mean, it's EVM plus just like in the name it it pulls in these modules it's like really it's really putting a modular approach on the evm by allowing it to access i think that's the key part here is that you have the evm and all all of the standardization and and familiarity that the evm offers um and then you yeah. also get the option to access cosmos modules you got it right it's it's a, it's plug and play to an extent if you should if you wish right um, you can treat it like a completely normal EVM and not think twice, or you could be like, "Hey, cool! I'm going to try to actually like you know use this module." Yeah, yeah, um, very cool. So, because this tech 
is there is is there functionalities to be able to have more dApps and um, things for users to do on chain that are like vertically vertically integrated within Verichain? Um, like, could you have EDM dApps deploy on Verichain? Is there going to be dApps deployed on Verichain from um, like, are, are they going to be house? Are they going to be other dApps? Like, what's the ecosystem plans look like from testnet to mainnet? Um, what could users do on Verichain aside from kind of what what you've spoken about? I know some perk vaults, some markets of things like, yeah, like is this in house EDM dApps like lending markets kind of yeah yeah ecosystem. For sure, man. Um, yeah, I think we've always been, you know, very proud of our ecosystem and, and all the crazy stuff they've been cooking up. Um, I think that, like you mentioned, when you think about this from like the the native side, um, there's effectively like EVM DApps slash um, DApps that are in our case are actually built with those pre-compiles um, that are baked into the chain. Um, so that's like the perps, the you know the the ambient liquidity decks and the uh, the stablecoin lending market. Um, but then there's also folks that are just deploying a, a suite a suite of other projects, whether that be you know. Uh, you know, NFT marketplaces, um, you know, NFT AMMs, social fi projects, a couple different games that are being deployed at the moment. Um, I'd say more exotic, like yield farmers. Like I think there's definitely like a bit of a, De a DeFi edge slash a DeFi angle. Um, but if you can think of uh, as a basic primitive or, you know, a more spicy one, there's a pretty good chance it's on bear chain, um, which is to say, you know, if you want yield swaps, if you want some form of like, you know, exotic lending market, like, you know the the vast majority of things that that people use on other chains uh, exist in some form or or some combination of it on Vera. Um, so you know we've done our best to make sure that when we actually come out the gates, um, we have the ecosystem as built out as possible. And that's even like looking at you know I think some of the next gen stuff that will really get cool adoption in the next cycle, right? Whether that is you know stuff for UI slash UX like Dream OS that allows you to like basically have all of your different DApps on your desktop almost or in a desktop like browser. Um, you know, for easy accessibility and cross-chain use, uh, or, you know, stuff like Waymods, like next-gen custody, plus like, you know, hack front running and smart actions for your wallets, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it's really just been our goal to to give people um, effectively access to anything that they have on other chains natively on Verichain. And a good part of that is done through the native ecosystem, and a good part of that is done through other apps that are looking to deploy with us as, you know, like their second home kind of thing. So, Let's say a future where we have tons of dApps, user activity, everything is going according to plan, mainnet's launched. Where where are you guys comparatively on the spectrum of, of different platforms and protocols now? Are you thinking of Barrachain as like in a competitor or a uh, or a differentiator Ethereum to Atom Osmosis or is it like is it like is it aiming to be something like in the modular stack? Like, 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 how are you personally thinking of like value comparison or um, like what realm you guys fit in? Like, what's the bull and bear case here? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think you know, I, I, I think it's much more interesting to be in the business of, of vertical creation or category creation than than category subscription, effectively. Uh, and what I'm very interested to see if we can do is just effectively build this ecosystem around proof of liquidity, right? Um, and I don't know what what narrative that, that that neatly falls into because on one hand there's our you know modular structure, um, there's a degree of interoperability in terms of the way that we hope to plug into different ecosystems, um, and there's yeah Josh from Somalia once had a, a line that I found absolutely hilarious but like, kind of accurate. He's like you know Bear Chain's kind of like Ivan layer for shitcoins. 
um, which was like kind of good in, in that like what what we're really rehypothecating as security here is liquidity, right? Where we're using liquidity to bootstrap or to for, serve as a form of security, um, and that can that can take many many different forms, whether that be majors or shit coins, um, which is is pretty exciting. Um, and it's not necessarily about the quality of the liquidity; it's about the presence or lack thereof. Um, so I, I think that in a perfect world down the road, we probably exist somewhere between those two narratives of of modularity, um, restaking with a little bit of interoperability on the back end. Um, but really hope to to form our own category around you know what proof of liquidity looks like down the road, like what a really liquidity centric chain exists um, looking like. Um, so when I think about our comps, um, I, I don't know what comes to mind most natively, but I think that we think a lot about how we can be the ecosystem where people go to build something new, cool, interesting. Um, and right now, when I think about that ecosystem, it's probably still Arbitrum, though I do think that that has been waning in prominence a little bit over time. Um, I think Base is, is taking some shots in that arena. Um, I think we'll probably see folks, you know, just hopping around a lot more of these interesting L2s. Um, I'm sure we'll see cool stuff from Lana down the road. So, you know, like my, my take is that we want to be the place where people go to build interesting new things. Um, while, of course, always noting that it's pretty tough to, to displace ETH mainnet. And I don't think that's necessarily the goal. Um, I think the goal is to be the, the place where people can go to, to, to win as a new application from, from ground up. You set us in a state of silence. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always interesting to hear the uh, hear that um, kind of your thought process as to where where you're headed because it kind of inspires the community and everybody else who's involved. Um, kind of digging deeper into that, what are the uh, immediate kind of uh, roadmap items and things that you have in front of you? Um, you know, how are you thinking about this test net, and um, you know, what is a successful test net uh, for you? That's a good question, man. Um, I think we've got, you know, our own metrics that we're shooting for internally in terms of, you know, unique users and the number of transactions and stuff like that. I think a lot of it is actually just how much, you know, we can improve the products, um, how much snappier we can make the, you know, some of the different core applications and how we can improve user experience there. Um, make sure it's super easy for people to, to get involved, figure out all the right things from the dev tooling point of view and working out some of those kinks. Um, so I think those are like some of the core tenets of a successful testnet. Um, and then what I will probably care about most is increasing our rate of inbound new builders that want to build new things. Um, I care a lot about, you know, basically trying to form as many of these network effects or flywheels as possible uh, to bring folks who can actually help, you know, push the bar forward a little bit into the ecosystem. Because uh, I think that is really the toughest thing to do. I think it's, it's easy to find a, a random team of devs and say, hey, go build this that we've seen before. Um, but for our ecosystem, you know, I don't really care for that that much. Um, I care a lot more about what we can do to effectively find a group that will um, build something new on the chain that they had the opportunity to build somewhere else, um, but didn't and, and and chose to build with us. And and to actually have like, you know, to help curate as many of these, what I consider super dApps as possible, um, applications that actually find a degree of adoption that bring them uh, into a new chain ecosystem and bring new users into that new chain ecosystem. I think GMX did this for Arbitrum. I think DFK did this for Harmony in the past, like DeFi Kingdoms before it blew up. I think Frentech did that for Base before that kind of like did its thing too. So to be clear, there's a, there's not a strong history of these having a lot of like longevity, but I think that with the right design and uh, enough shots on net, it's entirely possible to have that. It is interesting to see GMX survive where these other yeah. have have maybe not have the same, uh, same fit. It, 
And, and to be fair, like I think each some like had like I think you know TSK had the whole like lock jewel thing becoming liquid, and then that kind of just like killed the tokenomics model. And then like Frontech like Racer just like disappeared or something on uh, socials, and then like people just I don't know it. And there was a whole bunch of stuff that seemed to go down there on on the the social slash optics front um, that I think may have you know not contributed as well. But I think it was a great launch and like had a, a ton of people engaged and was very well suited for a CT audience. Um, but like in short, I, I don't think that those failed because of necessarily the product itself. I think they were both quite avoidable. Um, and I think that if you look hard enough, there's probably lots of other examples of things that actually like, you know, drew people into a new ecosystem. Um, and then I think that's what we want to optimize for. It's like, oh, you want to try using this app? It's on bear chain and you got to hop over. And then I really do see a chain as the sum of its parts, right? The sum of the applications that are built on top of it. Um, so it's our job to enable applications to, to build the best stuff. Are there any wild dreams you have of what's possible to build on Barachain because of the, the tech stack that you guys have that is not possible on on existing chains with, with other frameworks? I think a lot of it, uh, a lot of the ideas I have rely on a uh, constant inflow of liquidity that can be used to, to fuel some sort of leverage, to be quite honest. Mm. Um, now, that may be a good or bad thing um, because I like, you know, I... I I think that one of the cleanest sources of PMF in an on-chain environment is leverage on shit coins. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing to say, but like I, I, I just think that is what a lot of people <laughs> want slash care about in some manner. But yeah. so, uh, I think a lot, I think a lot of those systems where you can have a flywheel that's effectively juiced up by by BGT and the ability for that, um, you know, system to be consistently raking in rewards while paying out those liquidation fees, et cetera, to BGT takers could probably compound harder than, than many, many other ecosystems. Those, uh, so I've that in, in the, in the, you know, back burner. Yeah. Those leverage mechanisms are quite useful for uh, the DM yeah. out there. Uh, you got it, I, right? I ask, you know, I, I asked to try to like inspire, like those who are listening, who are builders um, and, you know, maybe they love the community, they love the culture and, and they enjoy the memes, but you know, they don't want to just copy pasta some some compounder sure. onto Barachain and they really want to embrace uh the innovations that, that the innovative tech that, that you've put together. Um Yeah. yeah. No, hundred percent man, appreciate it. And I think that there's um I think there's definitely angles that that are that have yet to be in see, uh, you know, yet to have been fully played out that we'll see on Barachain. Um, I expect to see some funky stuff in the NFT five space. I still don't think NFT borrow slash lend has been done right. Um, I still don't think that like social fi has been figured out quite yet. Uh, so you know, while these aren't necessarily areas that are you know uniquely powered by bear chain stack off the bat, I do think that there are areas where you can actually get what people tend to lack the most, which is users and liquidity out the gates very quickly. Um, and that's where I think we hope to to carve a bit more of an edge as well. Got it. Yeah, that that is most most on the nose of what I was asking about. Um, essentially, like, yeah, like if you had an infinite amount of time, um, and you you know you were able to build Barachain and then kind of like build the like what applications would you choose to build on top of it? Oh man, um, yeah. In terms of existing applications, or just new stuff? Anything? Your wild ass mountain. <laughs> That's a good question, man. I don't know if I have all the answers to that off the top, but I do think that there's a number of things that have been uh, that have moved in the right direction that we'd like to see. Um, I'm definitely selling things to most about DeFi, so 
Um, one idea that I've been playing with a bunch recently that I, I think may actually be achieved through the work of like some of the different groups that are that are starting to build in the space, like Ritual or you know OWASP, et cetera, um, is actually what happens at the intersection of AI and crypto. Uh, I think that's like in most cases very corny and just like a bullshit narrative to be clear. Um, but I do think that like there is a world where there is a, a super app of sorts that exists that's sort of like an AI powered like yield farmer um, that you know effectively takes into account you know one's risk parameterization or one's you know desired risk level. Um, a whole bunch of different inputs from the actual different contracts that one might deposit into, whether that be the distribution of the holders, uh, or you know fluctuations in APY over time, uh, or you know the actual source of that yield, whether it's fees, whether it's just emissions, yada yada yada. Uh, it actually helps to auto cycle like pool of capital, like beyond what one can accomplish in like your vaults, etc. Um, in response to market conditions, you know prices of other similar tokens, so on and so forth. Like I think something like that, um, if done properly, could you know be like uh, such a cool application to build. Um, and especially on, um, you know, in a proof of liquidity environment where there's so many different applications that would have different changing yields as a result of validators voting for application A versus application B in terms of their emissions. Um, so, you know, that's something that I would love to, to see exist on Verachain. And I'm starting to talk to one or two groups about, about cooking, sensing up that angle. Sounds epic. I'm super keen to see some of these things come to play. These uh, money games, if you will, are really, really cool. cool. Uh, participating and also just watch play out as we kind of coming yeah, to the uh, wrap up here just want to give our community some insight as to what they can expect for, from bear change for 2024 um, so what can we expect yeah man yeah yeah you got it um, you should expect a couple more uh, fun campaigns or activities over the testnet and if you're you know application builder or, or a dev I think that you should definitely uh, keep an eye out for ways that you can get involved because um, there will be opportunities and, um, you know, colleges should also keep an eye out because we're, you know, signing them up day by day for something cool. Um, and then I think that you should expect a mainnet um, this year. And I won't give an exact time, but we're looking at, you know, Q2 timeframe. Um, and we're hoping to just knock it out of the park and, um, you know, break some some dreams into reality. I think uh, it was really funny to see the number of folks who are like, holy shit, it's real when we dropped Testnet. Um, and also folks that hopefully enjoyed our, like, you know, half serious, half anime outro video. Um, and, uh, you know, we just hope the top that remain that that's, uh, that's the goal. Asked and answered. Fair chain is real when main net 2024. You got it, man. Epic. Smokey, thanks so much for coming on, man. So much fun. That was really pleasure. nice. Yeah. Cheers. I'm always around. And for folks who want to hit me up, my, my Twitter DMs are open and I'm normally pretty good at responding to them. Uh, and if not, then yeah, I'm sure there's a way to find me on TG or something. Love it. Thank you so much, Smokey. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the DeFi by Design podcast. And a big thank you to all of our sponsors for their support. Please check them out in the links below, as well as on our website and in our newsletter. We'll be back with more exciting guests and insights. Until then, stay curious, stay informed, and keep designing the future of DeFi.